0: Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It's a Toronto Raptors deadline extravaganza, I guess, because the Toronto Raptors did not give us an extravaganza at the deadline, so we had to create one ourselves here. Samson Folk is in the building, one of my favorite people in all of media. I think he does a terrific job covering the Toronto Raptors. And we're going to talk about what we expected the Raptors to do, what they ended up doing, where they go from here, everything in between with this team, because I genuinely think the Raptors are maybe the most interesting franchise in the league right now in terms of their potential directionality that they could go as a franchise. Like they could decide to take a step back and rebuild this summer. They could decide to go all in with like another big move this summer, which hint, hint, I, kind of think that's what they would prefer to do uh yeah. if i'm being completely honest uh but we're gonna talk we're gonna dive in we're gonna go into all of this and discuss everything that is going on with toronto raptors so samson what's going on man
1: Uh not too much just kind of kicking back as i told you pre-show i'm uh, and and many people who follow my twitter will know and the <laughs> podcast will know that i'm working on a big film piece for scotty revolving around his uh his passing so that's been a treat just to kind of vet all his turnovers, all his assists, a lot of the progressive passing, uh, I guess, improvements that he's made. And thank you for the kind words. I'm, I'm very glad yeah. to be someone's, you know, uh, uh, people enjoy me in media. That's a, that's a nice thing to have.
0: I'm a big fan. And I think that the way I want to start this show is actually by talking about things that I'm not necessarily a big fan of, but I consume no matter what. Yeah. Right. So earlier today on Sports Center, we had... Mad Dog Russo, or it was first take, I believe. Mad Dog Russo with Stephen A. Smith and JJ Raddick. And these, I know that these are bad for me. I, I know yeah. that I shouldn't watch these, right? But I love them. Every time JJ Raddick is on with Mad Dog Russo, it's the funniest thing in the world to me. Because a JJ Reddick has like incredible camera presence. He knows exactly where the camera is at all times. He knows exactly how to like manage his reactions to From exasperated to frustrated to like demoralized almost at what this dude is saying to him. Uh, And on top of it, J.D. Reddick is trying to win these arguments with facts, right? He's trying to win these arguments with like sense and logic and reason and numbers and statistics. But here's the problem. You can't win an argument with Matt Dog Russo. You just can't do it. No matter what, he's going to win. So JJ will be competitive and continue to try to win the argument, but he can't do it because Mad Dog Russo is an institution. And this has been occurring for 40 years now within sports media, where we know that this guy is not going to lose the argument. So it's one of my favorite things in media that I know is bad for me. And I consume it anyway, because I love it. Is there anything that you... Feel that way about within basketball media you know it's bad for you but you just got to do it at the end of the day
1: this might be boring because it's it's basically your answer is that I, typically i don't consume that much basketball media i do so much basketball work yeah. and so much is filmed that i try and just completely i lose that aspect of it as soon as i step away however yeah. i'm on twitter i see when all the clips if it's shannon and skip if it's Stephen A and whoever, if it's JJ and Mad Dog, right? These guys, they can hook me as well. And I can sit there as well. And I I think the most interesting aspect is that whether it's by design or whether it's truthful, I don't know his performance, the performance aspect of it. I don't know what's true or not. But it would seem on its face that it's like an incredible example of the Dunning-Kruger effect to watch, you know, JJ Redick and Mad Dog, that you could be around. He talks about, like, I was there. I saw it happen. You weren't (laughs) there. And it's like, you've been around for so long, and you fundamentally don't understand the sport or how people, like, operate and succeed. And I don't, like, to be in that close of proximity and not to, and to instead go into, like, the WWE aspect of it, like, big shouting, big voices, nonsensical arguments, instead of, like, learning intensely yeah. about what you cover i don't understand whatsoever but i mean they have fun <laughs> with it, so at least that's good for them you know
0: <laughs> yeah and like at one point in this in today's jj Redick and mad dog thing he was like yelling at jj to watch the games and it's just like yeah. well he definitely does and on top of it Like J.J. Redick has been a basketball institution now for 25 years between like being McDonald's All-American, being a multi-time All-American at Duke, playing in the NBA for what, like 18 years, something Mm -hmm. like that. Like, it's amazing. It's just, it's my favorite thing to watch these freaking guys just go back and forth and J.J. Redick try to like, J.J. Redick, I think he genuinely sometimes, I don't think he does anymore, but I think early on. He thought, like, I can win this. I can, I can convince him to get to my side. Now I think he just knows he has no chance. But apathetic. Yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. But uh, a thing that hasn't been beautiful to watch this season, unfortunately, has been the Toronto Raptors. Uh, this is a team that, if you look at the the fundamental stats. It wouldn't necessarily lead you to believe this. Like, they're what? 11th in offense? Something like that, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. 17th they're, in defense. They're 17th in defense. It shouldn't look as aesthetically displeasing as it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet, every time I watch the Raptors, I just come away with this not even like a little bit of disappointment because I think this team could be like incredibly fun and enjoyable to watch but also just like this this intense feeling that they just don't have enough like connectedness out on the court offensively and then defensively it's also been a mess this year but like part of that is playing a center part of it's like the the lack of cohesion between defensive scheme and not having a center to like be the defensive anchor behind them. They play like a super aggressive defensive scheme at the point of attack and uh, with heavy closeouts and everything. And then there's nobody back there when you inevitably get beaten by NBA players. And Mm -hmm. obviously they rectified that at the trade deadline, but what has been your overall thought when you watch the Toronto Raptors this year? Let's just kind of start there. I think it's
1: um, ill fitting. I, I used the term hubris before. I think there is, or or a lack of awareness, perhaps. And, and you can always you can always kind of push back against those terms by saying that they tried, they just couldn't make it happen. And that's the that's the great equalizer in the NBA, or at least when you're critiquing front offices, is that they may very well have tried to create the team that you envisioned or that many people envisioned, but yeah. they couldn't find a trade they were a couple draft slots too late, all these different types of things. You miss you miss by a margin, then you miss by a mile. Like, that's kind of how it shakes out. But the Raptors build... The
0: inches, they're all around us. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And the Raptors are a team who they, last year, got a lot of plus, uh, I guess, performances out of the defense. And it was built on bodies. Willingness yeah. to sacrifice yeah. them. Willingness to run like run all over the court nonstop and that this season hasn't carried over and you could compare that to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool teams that ran significantly more miles than all other teams in the Premier League you can compare it to certain football teams that play like a certain smash mouth style that couldn't keep it up for years and years but the Raptors basically what they did was they created an environment where it was the hardest place to play in the NBA as far as the toll on your body and they kept asking guys to do it year over year. And you're now seeing like the friction of that, especially when guys want to get paid and might be viewing, you know, an avenue out of the, out of the team, I suppose.
0: I think that's a really, really good way to put it. I think the Liverpool comparison is actually like really apt for people that also watch football in the premier league and everything. That team is also in the midst of a very real uh, identity crisis. It feels like at the moment, as much as anything. And There have been discussions about Jurgen Klopp and his future with Liverpool. And there have been discussions about Nick Nurse and his Mm -hmm. future in Toronto. I'll be honest. I don't think Nick Nurse has done a very good job this year. I don't think he has been nearly creative enough in terms of utilizing the offensive skill sets that this team has. I think that the rotational uh, minutes that he plays guys, it just seems like it's going to wear them down, especially within the style that he wants them to play. I mean, like if you listen to people around the league, like Nick Nurse grates on people, right? Like uh-huh. he is, he drives, like he is a coach that is very, very, I don't want to say like aggressive necessarily, but like he 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 demands a lot from his players uh, in a very real way. And I wonder if that is catching up with Toronto. How would you assess, and it kind of goes toward what you were talking about before, but how would you assess Nick Nurse's ability to kind of adjust to what's happening in the vein of what you said, because you're right. Like, there are a number of different, a number of different, uh, other motivations on this roster right now from Fred Van Vliet's contract, from Pascal Siakam's potential extension to OG Ananobi, um, wanting a bigger offensive role and then also coming up for an extension after next season. Like, there are very real motivations here, and, and I think that part of the problem for Nick Nurse is that it feels like he hasn't quite adjusted to that in a way that makes sense to, not even makes sense, but like in a way that has bred success for this team.
1: Yeah, I think there are some teams that do a much better job if they have because the Raptors are the only team like the Raptors in the NBA who have like OG, Gary, Fred. Pascal Scotty all over 15 points the offensive hierarchy gets shifted mid game in strange ways it stagnates it gets supercharged for moments in time and guys look a lot different there's there's not a lot of cohesion there and other teams i think with a bunch of good interesting players Sacramento is a great example of this they figure out a way and luckily they have Demonis Sabonis to kind of grease the wheels of that happening yeah. but other teams figure out ways to get guys more involved. And the inherent stagnation of Nick Nurse's, quote, motion offense leads <laughs> guys to kind of hunt for their own shot. And this also leads back to something that Nick Nurse said about OG Nanobi in the summer. OG, the rumors came out this summer, uh, reported by Jake Fisher. And then at Summer League, I believe, Nick Nurse hops on a mic. He says that... He tells guys they can have a possession. You know, he works and he talks to guys and he says, if you get the offensive rebound, the possession's yours. And the people hear that and they say, okay, so OG is getting possessions. Sorry, not offensive rebound. Defensive rebound, you take it up the floor. And yeah. that's four, five possessions a game. And it's also reliant on somebody else stepping up to screen for you. It's also somebody making, you know, either the baseline cut or the 45 cut on the weak side of the floor to like Help shift the defense as you're coming downhill. It's a five. It's always a five man play, even if it's a two man action, right? And the Raptors, they they haven't had that buy in. I also think that certain guys expected more structural help. This is something yeah. that the Raptors have been really light on. Um, Pascal has been able to thrive without the structural help. Scotty last year surprised everybody in his ability to thrive without the structural help. OG has not thrived without the structural help. And clearly, OG is a guy who believes that he should have structural help to become a certain a level higher of an offensive player, not only in name, but in like the actions that are given to him, the the cachet he has. And Fred Van Vliet had some friction with that. There's other players who have, and I'll say Fred, since he spoke about it openly, other players have had friction with that. And Nick Nurse, the offense hasn't been significantly more diverse. He just kind of toggled roles, and it's other guys get those possessions. It's not working into an offense that seeks to enable five guys at once. It's just switching guys, which there's a limiting factor there, obviously.
0: I think that where I'm at with this team, before we move into – like, the roster and where it goes from here uh, and, like, the deadline and everything. If they're going to bring back, like, the core of this roster, say, like, Fred, Pascal, Scotty OG, they re-sign Pirtle, everything like that, I think I would prefer them to make a coaching change. Now, if they're going to change up the roster and do something different, they're going to move OG, they're going to, you know sign and trade Fred Van Vliet for something else. They're going to, you know, do a variety of different things. I think that it, you know, you can run it back with Nick nurse and see what works here. But I do think that we've kind of seen enough with this coach and this core that they're not getting the most out of the talent level that they have on this roster. How do you feel about the way they should move forward at the coaching position because it's obvious, it's fluid, right? In terms of front office, coach, roster, everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's
1: interesting because Nick Nurse, I think, at his what he's what he was able to do, his resume is built off of a championship winning season, and then is built off of the 2019-20 season, let's say, where they and his music, yes, and and his appearances <laughs> in TV shows. There's a lot. There's a a star attached to his name in Canada yeah. at least and a lot of the high end coaching with the really great teams there's a divergence in opinion some people think like you have to be like a players coach to make sure that stars are happy so stars buy in so that it's you know hospitable for everybody and you win with stars so you go for a players coach But then you get something like Doc Rivers. What keeps happening with Doc is like people lament his lack of changes or adjustments. It's become a meme almost at this point. And Nick Nurse built his resume on being an adjustments guy. Several were made that were, you know, there's a lot of ingenuity to it. It's the right call at the right time Mm -hmm. to win a championship. And then I think offensively, he's a bit more reliant on Kyle Lowry than people wanted to give him credit for. Kyle Lowry made yeah. the Raptors offense sing for, for a really long time. Yeah. And there is no Kyle Lowry. There is no all-consuming like chemist in the offense right now who's able to bridge the gap between all these different players. Scotty is able to do it at times, but he's also not an all-consuming Ball dominant guy who can like control offense to that point. Not yet. Maybe someday. And he's
0: 21. That's it. Like he's still, he's so young. He's still gaining experience in terms of being able to do this.
1: He won't, he won't reel in and command an all star player or former all star in Fred, a current all star in Pascal, an all NBA player. He won't, he won't be able to kind of commandeer the offense for full games and full, you know, season stretches at a time. I think that you would like idea and also yeah there's friction with nick um from a couple different players right and there's there's been friction for a little bit of time pascal's back in the bubble that was the that was the popular that was the public one there's been stuff bubbling up for some time that's kind of i guess it's difficult to parse out locker room dynamics, especially yeah. just to kind of shove it into the light. It has to be reported on in depth for months and you have to get quotes from everywhere, all that kind of stuff. But the Raptors are at a crossroads. And it kind of goes back to that Larry Bird quote about a coach, how long can they hold the room? You know, and when is when is the time to exit that? And especially as you mentioned, nurse being a grading coach. And some people, you know, in media or the way they interpret media, they're like well, Nurse is just saying be better and that's good. And it's like, well, Nurse openly says be better. They were bad, don't do this. This is bad in a way that other coaches they won't toe that. Line. Right. They they won't do that. So it's not about whether people deserve to be told they're good or bad. It's just that Nurse is bucking trends uh, relative to other NBA head coaches and the Raptors right. as a whole are. you know there's there's if you are someone who relies on friction to get people going like that match might not light anymore. And you might just be like, You know,
0: we well, we see it with Tom Thibodeau, right? Like Tom Thibodeau often has to make a change. And none of this is when, when people hear the word grading, I feel like they're going to, they're going to hear like, Oh, this guy's like, you know, shitty human being to be around, like all that stuff. Like grading as a coach is not necessarily The worst thing it might not be for everybody it might not be for a long period of time in terms of its effectiveness we this is not to say nick nurse is like not an effective coach i think nick nurse is a really good basketball coach but i think tom thibodeau is also a great basketball coach and sometimes it's just time for a shift and i think that if they're gonna keep this core together i would just like to see that shift is where i'm at um yeah, and it, it it just might be time. Like, and that's not to say that if they make changes, you know, maybe you do keep Nick around. I, I think that there's there's a real push and pull and a give and take in all of this. But I, I don't want to get you in too much trouble because you have to go up there and actually talk to Nick sometime <laughs> soon. So I'm not going to make you actually answer this question. Uh, let's move on and talk about the deadline, though. Uh, let's start here. What did you? Where did you think the organization was eventually going to come down in terms of what their decision would be to move OG, Fred, Gary, et cetera?
1: I thought that one or two of OG, Gary, and Fred would no longer be a Raptor at uh, when 3.05 p.m. when Eastern when the trade deadline ended. What actually happened was I had... Just come back from Niagara Falls, seeing it for the first time. It was like 1 a.m. in the morning, and I saw they traded for Jakob Purtle, and I thought, <laughs> and I thought, you know, Sam Vecini and I talked about this in the middle of December.
0: I know about
1: how we thought the Raptors were probably better than they had been performing. Pascal yeah. was coming back, 52 points just in the rearview mirror, and we floated Purtle, we floated Miles Turner, and and a healed. Um, the, the Caitlin Cooper package, I think I called it back then. <laughs> and yeah. um, and we we're kind of saying, like, it's tough to find a big list of big men because good teams don't trade their bigs. The Spurs are bad, and they traded a good big in Jakob Perdle. Yeah. The Raptors paid a, a hefty price relative to what I think expectations were. Um, top six protected first-rounder. It doesn't convey for four years the Spurs are probably going to get that pick. And the Raptors, they masai ujiri said at his presser he didn't do a good enough job of giving these guys a chance by giving them a center i've been railing against i thought the silliness of this vision Six Nine thing and yaka purdle i know some people are trying to kind of shoehorn him in and be like this is still vision Six Nine. it's not let's like let's
0: let's let's hold the purdle thing because i think that like he's really good and i want to talk about him like completely separately oh, sure, sure. from all of this um I agreed with you. I know that we did that podcast in, it was like maybe January, mid, like early January, something like that, that we did that. And I thought they should buy at that time. I thought there was no way they were going to buy at the deadline by the time the deadline came around. Mm -hmm. It felt like to me, the OG thing had just like almost gone too far. Yeah. Like to where, okay, you have reports of teams offering three first round picks and, Like we do know that OG wants a bigger role in an offense and like it just felt like to me that something was going to happen there, I guess, because if the team, my take on this has always been if the team is going to take a step back, like if they're going to decide this summer, okay, Fred is gone, you know, Gary Trent is gone. We're going to remake the backcourt. I always thought it made more sense to move OG then in that cycle because you don't want to lock yourself in in that scenario to $40 million for or $30 million for OG and Anobi. As much as I love him, as much as I think there is untapped upside in him offensively as much as I think that he is one of, if not the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, I think he is the most switchable defender in the NBA. That is not a lie. I think he is genuinely that. I don't know if I was a team that was taking a step backward, if I would want to pay that and lock up my flexibility in some way. To me, what this entire situation says now is that they are not going to take that step back. And in fact, I think my take on all of this is they're star hunting now. And I think that they view, this is my opinion. This is not reporting. I would bet you that they view OG Ananobi in the same light that Phoenix just right. utilized Mikhail Bridges as a centerpiece to go out and get a superstar to pair with Pascal to pair with Scotty etc etc i think that their star hunting is where i'm at on all of this that that does make sense
1: especially you read the tea leaves around it and the raptors currently are playing some good basketball without og and anobi or gary trent jr in the lineup they haven't they haven't played right and Purtle solidifies the front court Precious Achua gets to play power forward and some backup center minutes and Pascal and Scotty and Fred looks really good right now too. The defense is still very ho-hum obviously, but the offense has come around. Um, the Raptors have created a situation where they are now kind of, you looked earlier in the season, if they're missing a guy or missing two guys, it was like the end of days. They had no no depth. And now right. they have a very strong nucleus if they are star hunting in probably Gary and OG and also if you are star hunting you're not as scared of the luxury tax that is obviously looming if they plan to run it back. And that's so right. yeah that's that's an interesting way to look at it and could very well be true. Um I have I have no reporting on that or anything either but that's Yeah. Teams want to star hunt. It's a fun it's a fun thing to do <laughs> as like a front office member is to hunt for stars. So yeah. And, and Masai obviously wants that too. He he's maniacal proven
0: track record of it.
1: Yeah. He's maniacal in the way that he wants to win. And there, there was obviously, and during his whole tenure as the decision maker for the Raptors, a severe, like distaste for taking a step back, always wanting to step forward and being in a position where you leave yourself, like, even if it doesn't work out the way we want to this year, we can still try and like shake and move upwards into the standings rather than down yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think.
0: Yeah. I think, I just wonder if they look at it as, okay, we just, you know, we obviously just paid Jakob, we paid for Jakob Pertl because we like Jakob and we think that honestly, we'll talk about him next. Cause I think that's where I want to go next. But um but I, I think that they think that this isn't a roster where they can keep making half measures, right? Mm-hmm. If they're going to keep this thing going, they probably need to go in, go in and do something with this team. Their half now, measures
1: failed. All, all their half them measures recently. failed.
0: Yeah, I think that's dead on. <laughs> Having said that, Jakob Pertl could be seen as a half measure. Mm-hmm. Jakob Purtle, though, is a guy that they have familiarity with. They obviously selected him, then moved him in the Kawhi Leonard deal. They're bringing him back. They know what he is. They know what he's good at. They know exactly who he can be. I believe he never played for Nick Nurse's head coach. Is Detroit. that right? Yeah. He Nick was an assistant there while mm-hmm. he was there, though. So there should be some familiarity there at the very least. My overall opinion of this, though, is that I wonder if this deal ends up having something of an impact comparable to a star deal, because the replacement level in terms of what the Raptors were getting from the center position, it was genuinely 30th in the NBA. It was below replacement level. All due respect to Christian Coloco, Kem Birch. The smaller guys that they've run out, like there have been a lot of moments where they have played Scotty Barnes at center. There have been moments with Precious Achua as the biggest guy on the court. All due respect to those guys working and those latter two guys particularly, I think are great players. Having a guy that is seven foot tall is a real deterrent at the rim and has the skills that Jakob Pertl does is just a different beast it's a different ball game in terms of having a real defensive anchor back there. As you mentioned, Masai Ujiri mentioned it in his press conference that he kind of felt like he owed it to this group to yeah. give them a center and that he kind of felt like he might've in not so many words screwed up, not giving this team like a real center as a defensive anchor on the interior. Uh, where do you fall on the Yakup hurdle move? Cause I loved it. I thought it made all the sense in the world.
1: So I had a, uh, like a, I don't know, drunk brain addled uh, 3 a.m. video I made when that, that first came out. And I think that it was very interesting that they made that trade and everybody's expectation was that Mas, Masai is still cooking. Something else will adjoin this trade. And obviously that didn't happen. What was immediately immediately apparent is that the Raptors are a much better team now. They are better at things that they used to be. They they're probably good at things they used to be bad at. That's a huge thing in the NBA. You know, it's it's hard to to flip that switch. And the Raptors have been operating, as you said, at such a negative at that position. Even when things go well for them, it's still extremely taxing. Like even if Precious Achiuwa has his game at the five, where he changes shots and he steps out on the perimeter, he still doesn't have the proximity to the basket or the size that Pirtle does. And guys like Pascal and Scotty are still going to feel the toll of returning back to the paint to bang around and still try and make it work. And Pirtle kind of just bah, seals all those problems <laughs> up, right? Yeah. Um, s- somebody did like the, the flex tape meme where you slap the flex tape over the water. Yeah. That's Jakob Pirtle. <laughs> he shores up a lot of what they do. And they've been bad at a lot of things. That Well, and... Yeah.
0: Yeah, to to give you some context on that for the listeners, they are bottom 10 in terms of percentage of shots that are taken at the rim, and they're bottom 10 in terms of field goal percentage against at the rim. So this is a team that genuinely needed real help in both fronts here. One of the things that you often say that I think is really, really smart is this idea that great players can do great things consistently, right? Mm. To be a great player you can't just show flashes, right? You can't just do this, you know, once in a while. You can't do it two times every four games where you're, you know, having this incredible impact. It's the great players in this league. They do it night after night after night. And that's what makes them great. That's what makes your scoring averages go through the roof. That's what makes you a defensive player of the year candidate. It's being able to repeat that performance night after night. And I think that giving Precious and Scotty those responsibilities at the rim often stops them from being able to repeat their performance night after night after night because they are being tasked with things that are inherently difficult for them, that aren't necessarily in their comfort zone, that just frankly take a physical toll on their mm-hmm. body in many ways. Getting Jakob Purtle, I think that not only will the replacement level be drastic? Like going from negative replacement value to very, very useful center that is probably a top 20 ish center in the league is super important, but more importantly, I think the role allocation around those guys around Jakob is going to allow more success for everyone involved.
1: Yeah. So just to like make this for the listener, really poignant, Uh, we can relate the the Jurgen Klopp Liverpool aspect of it (laughs) um, which by the way Evan Gualberto was the first person we were talking about that he suggested that to me but the Raptors were 13th in the NBA and how many attempts they allowed at the rim last year and what they did was democratic rim protection the reason that they were able to keep teams away from the rim is that they were meeting ball handlers higher up the floor and Mm. their point of attack defense was better last season those two things combined to keep teams away from a rim that the Raptors, they still struggled to defend last year when people got there. That's the physical toll. The Raptors this year, they didn't have the chutzpah to meet guys as high up the court. They didn't have it to stay in front. The rotation, the connectiveness was not there defensively and everything fell apart. They go bottom 10 and I'm pretty sure they're bottom three in percentage allowed. Currently Um, that'll probably change and trend positively with, with Jakob there. Putting Jakob there simplifies everything. Less miles traveled. You still get the benefits of guys missing shots because he's there. And it helps immensely. And um, that, that's kind of the simple point to make defensively is like, and, and for people who are listening, they're like, that sounds like what centers do. It's like, yes. The Raptors have not yeah, had what is. a center <laughs> does. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's tough, man. Yeah. I mean, it's genuinely, like Christian Coloco was their best option. In mm-hmm. terms of that all season and defensively, I think he actually did okay. Yeah. The problem is that offensively he can't catch like that. He's tough time. Yeah. Real problem. And, and like, there's just defenses don't in any way respect him mm. as a threat, as a roller, as a dunker spot player. They just don't really care what he's doing out there. Mm-hmm. And as much as I think he's an interesting prospect, if they can figure out just Seriously, as much as anything, just catching the basketball for him, uh, catching very, you know, quickly processed reads from the ball handlers and everything like that. Like that would go a long way for him, I think. And screening and a few other things as well. Like it's more little things for him that I think he needs to fix. They just needed a guy that can do it on both ends, and I think yeah. that one of the interesting things that's worth talking about with Jakob Pirtle is the impact that he's going to have on offense. Now. It's all positive for me, except for one aspect that we'll talk about in a minute. But I really love the way Jakob short rolls. I really love the way he processes basketball. I think that he is a really smart passer and playmaker. He's really smart as a reset option. You know, going out, he knows when to reset the offense, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, and understands when to be aggressive, when to be conservative. More than that, he's an absolutely monster screener. Mm-hmm. like one of the absolute best screeners in the league. And that is going to be enormous for Fred Van Vliet, who I felt like has struggled to get that little bit of separation this year yeah. for the most part. You give him that extra just, you know, split second of separation from an on-ball defender at the point of attack. It's going to be really, really big for him.
1: I think there's there's three plays that are really good at kind of detailing and informing on how Pirtle is really good relative to the other centers on the Raptors roster. Ken Birch, um, thank you for your time. And hopefully he's able to rehab and get back to a place where he's like, he can finish out his NBA career. We'll see. But the blitzing that the Orlando the Magic did against the Raptors last night, they did that earlier in December when the Raptors played back to back. And the Raptors lost both of those games facing that length. The blitz, one of the first ones that they faced, Fred pops it over the top. Jakob kind of walks it down the court. Precious makes that baseline cut. It's a lay down. It's a dunk. Later in the game, you also get Pascal gets blitzed. Pirtle pops out, catches it just below the three point line, sees the defense in front of him, one dribble straight to the rim. And then additionally, not even with a blitz, but a hedge and recover. When the Orlette Fred picks up the ball and pick and roll, right? He looks into the corner to look off the tag for Pirtle. And Purtle that whole time is showing himself present to the yep. passer and is moving himself downhill without and still maintaining that massive catch radius and making it easier for a guy who's short with short arms and doesn't have the wide passing angles that other guys do to make yep. himself available for, for Fred Van Vliet, who had 15 assists. A lot of that is because Purtle was a big target. That is something that Precious can't do. He he's not as clever on the roll. He doesn't know how to show himself to maintain the pacing. Coloco certainly doesn't. Kem couldn't. Thad can't. And Pirtle is also the guy who finished 15 of his 17 shots last night. There's there's no there's nothing even close to that on the Raptors roster currently. And it completely transformed, even if it's just for one game, because the other games he didn't score a bunch. But for one game You saw how a guy with his skill set can completely, you know, radically change how the Raptors approach a certain defensive coverage. And and they won because of it. Hopefully they win more games because of it going forward.
0: (laughs) Yeah, as we talked about defensively, you know, they've been 17th in the league. And I think there's been a real disconnect in terms of the Mm -hmm. strategies that they utilize uh, versus the personnel that they have just at the center position, particularly. What have you thought of Jakob's impact defensively at this point?
1: You want to know something funny? We have like the ultimate small sample size theater. Through three games, <laughs> the Raptors are 30 points per 100 possessions better with Pirtle on the floor, their defense. Overall, it's 36. So, and not only that, but Louis Zatzman, um, the editor at Raptors Republic, He went through every single possession that Jakob has guarded in the pick and roll in the the three games since. And he's done a fantastic job kind of detailing that while Pirtle is playing higher than he's used to over the past however many years, he's still done a really good job because he he stays so square. Even if a guy really has the corner, it's still tough to turn the corner on him. He's been fouling more because, A, the effort ratcheted up once he was no longer covered in the Spurs malaise of, like, we're a bad team for so long. He's been playing
0: Those guards are so bad at getting through (laughs) actions, the Spurs guards. Like, it's just, it it was really, really hard for Jakob. The the other thing Jakob does is he keeps his feet active. Mm -hmm. Like, this is something I wrote about with Yusuf Nurkic uh, over the weekend, where Yusuf will just stay flat-footed. And let's be fair, Yusuf Nurkic is going through a calf injury at Mm -hmm. the moment. It seems to have been a bit persistent throughout the year. but. When you watch Nurkic, there's no active, like, feet there. He's flat-footed. He's trying to, like, angle his body more than anything as opposed to having active feet and potentially trying to change the angle for ball handlers Mm -hmm. and be aggressive in doing that as the big defender in a drop or in a flatter pick-and-roll coverage. Um, Jakob is very active in terms Mm -hmm. of his feet. He stays light on his feet and because of that he can be a little bit more aggressive, I think. It's
1: it's also he, he's pretty good at flipping his hips instead of yep. some guys they want to open up and you'll see them sidle guys out to maybe the forty-five. But um Jakob typically he'll keep his angle and he'll flip at the last moment so he can kind of maraud them as they try and get to the rim. Like he'll he's pretty good at not fouling from behind if the guys get the yeah. edge, which is isn't the, I guess, prototypical way to play in in pick and roll coverages. But with his quick feet, I think he manages to do it, which is um, I think also benefits the Raptors in a rotation-heavy scheme still. But um, he's been awesome defensively. The Raptors have been absolutely terrible when he's not on the floor (laughs) because they're probably like, wow, we have a center. This is so great. And they want to get back to normal. And then as soon as he checks out, they're like, wait, we don't have that anymore. Well, I, I don't know what to do here, Um, but he's been great. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully he continues to play, you know, probably north of 30 minutes and the Raptors can shore some stuff up elsewhere. But uh, no complaints yeah. about Jakob so far.
0: So the Raptors, l- let's close out like just the this season discussion here. I mean, the Raptors are 28 and 31. They have a, uh, I forget what their net rating. It's like plus seven, plus, plus 0.7, plus 0.8 yep. net rating, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, they are four games back of the Knicks in seventh place in the East. They're four and a half games back of the Heat in sixth place. And they are six games back of the Brooklyn Nets, who obviously made some wheeling and dealing themselves at the deadline, yeah. uh, in fifth place. Where does this end for the Raptors? Do you think that they have any chance to get into that playoff spot? Because I think that, I think the is no. I think they're a little bit too far back, but I do think that this basically locks them into the play-in. And I think that, you know, them and the Knicks is interesting. Like, I think that it'll be, it'd be pretty close between those two. Um, I do think that they would be favored right now to make the playoffs in my mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't considering what they have currently. I don't think there's a version of events where they, they don't make the playoffs. I think they'd make the playoffs. Um, yeah. Yeah. However, however you run the simulation a hundred times they're, they're making it, I would say north of like 70% of the time. Probably. Uh, I don't know if they catch the Knicks uh, Four games is actually a lot more than people think with this short of a runway yeah. left but i think that they'll they'll be in the play in picture and i think they probably have a pretty good chance to be one of the 18 or the of those four teams one of the two left in the playoffs yeah. and and then you go back to the conversation about like um ceiling and the first round pick comes into play the the second rounder this year the other second rounder is like what ceiling did the raptors trade future assets for and that kind of stuff and that'll be really interesting to have um in the off season once everything kind of the dust settles but for now they're uh, they're going to be a good team post all-star break i think most people will recognize that and i think they're gonna make a run of sorts and we'll get to see some good basketball for a guy like me who goes to the games talks to the players (laughs) i i enjoy that a lot um i don't know about the future but the now it's more fun for me personally which is
0: good yeah yeah, you need, uh, you need some fun basketball to watch. You you have earned it after sitting through nearly <laughs> 60 games of this Raptors season. Oh. Let's finish up by talking about the future here. The Toronto Raptors, Fred Van Vliet is a free agent. Jocko Pertle is a free agent. Pascal Siakam is extension eligible with one year left on his deal. Uh, OG Ananobi has one year left on his contract. Gary Trent is a free agent assuming he declines his 16 million dollar player option there's an eight it might be like 18 something it's like
1: like 18.3 or something yeah
0: 18 i think you're right it was like a 17 million dollar average annual value now i think about it um what in the world is going to (laughs) happen with this roster at the end of the season (laughs) so
1: I was kind of walking through this prior to the trade deadline thinking, you know, I wrote a piece for why you would and wouldn't trade Gary, Fred, and OG. And you can kind of, I guess, assess from a similar point of view is like, why do you not re-sign or why would you trade OG in the summer, sign and trade Fred and Gary? Um, I think it's really interesting. Fred, if you want to be a good team in the NBA, how do you not... Hey, Fred, and I know this will be upsetting to some Raptors fans, but it's like, how do you forego the point guard spot in a heading into a season where you want to be good at basketball point guards? Like like having a guy out there to run actions, move you through sets, defend at the point of attack, even though that's significantly worse this season than it's been historically for him. It's like you have to have a replacement plan there. I don't know. It's hard to even scheme up what that might be for the Raptors, right? So it looks like probably Fred sticks around. Jakob is as big. I know Jakob is Pascal's friend and like much has been made of that, but Jakob is as big an assist to Fred's game as anybody else's on the roster. As you mentioned about giving him the extra um, coverage out of screens and stuff like that. Um, It's tough to imagine Fred going anywhere. Gary, I guess the Raptors, just because of how difficult it is for them to sign free agents. Even after winning a championship, we saw that. They typically pay guys if they're there. If they find a number where Gary, they're comfortable, um, I'm sure they re-sign them. I think they they re-sign everybody. And it does seem like either they try and, man, be really good next season, make a move, or as you mentioned earlier, just kind of spitballing, maybe it's star hunting. And who knows how well that goes because it's difficult. There's like six teams in the NBA doing it at once. Maybe you're the team that wins. The Raptors have been one time. They won a championship. Maybe you're the team that loses and you're directionless like the Raptors were after Giannis, not you know taking uh, free agency or taking free agency off the table. It's tough, but I I think those are the two options. It would be insane to me if they let guys walk after giving away or trading a first-round pick for next season. Um, planning on being good. So I imagine it's one of the aforementioned two situations.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me, like I agree with you on the point guard position, but w- what the risk is that the Raptors run here is locking mm-hmm. themselves in to a core that can't win a title. Yeah. If they yeah. think that this core can't win a title, which I honestly like based off the fact they're 28 and 31 right now, as much as we think that this team has underperformed, probably can't win a title. And, and then it comes really. down to and then it comes down to how quickly do you think Scotty Barnes is going to mature from really good player, definitely starter quality player, unbelievable passer, useful uh, offensive connector who can really drive transition play in a significant way to no, this dude is an absolute star. And he is like going to make the all-star team and he's going to average 24 points and eight assists and be a little bit more impactful defensively than what we've seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's just, there's a leap that needs to happen from Scotty in that case. While also not seeing Fred Van Vliet, who has played uh mm-hmm. Let's see here. Approximately 7 billion minutes in the past four seasons, I believe, based on stats. Uh, Only 7 second billion. to
1: Jake Harden, I think, over the Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and by the way, Pascal Siakam is very closely behind at 6.9 billion minutes over mm-hmm. the past four seasons. How long do these guys hold up? Do they hold up long enough to where you know, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam can intersect with like the first or second season yep. of Scotty Barnes' Prime, right? That's where this gets really hard. And that's kind of why I thought that they would end up selling at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Because I think they got a little bit worse from when our original conversation was. Yep. Um, I, I thought that their move is gonna end up being to sell. And on top of it, like the guy that you can buy into, like being in the prime and then also like having real upside moving forward as a is OG and Anobi. And you can't extend OG because OG is on a salary number that is just too low. It's going to be like 19 mm-hmm. million or something next year. And he's going to ask for 30 and just based off the 125% uh, barrier that this collective bargaining agreement stupidly puts up for potential extensions. He's just not extension. He's frankly not extension eligible mm-hmm. Based on not making enough money, based on his previous deal being too good of a deal for yep. the Toronto Raptors, yep. uh, it's so dumb that the CBA does that. But yep. what, what does what does his mindset look like? What, what does he what does he want? I feel like does he want to go and blossom somewhere else? Does he want to go and like try and be an offensive? There are just so many questions that I would have real hesitation about locking myself in to this core, which is almost why I wonder if they get kind of aggressive on like the sign and trade market or, you know, on, you know, the star market, as we talked about, you might be able to bring this back for one or two more years. But if Fred Van Vliet's on a four year, $120 million contract, I don't know what that's seen as league wide, given that he is someone that does have as much wear on his tires. He has earned that contract. Don't, don't mistake that he deserves to get paid. I just don't know if teams are going to see as an asset when he does get paid.
1: Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's the interesting aspect of it, both for OG and Fred is that part of why they're pursuing the contracts that they are is because they've been underpaid for quite some time. And, and OG yeah. wanting to solidify himself with a different type of role. And, you know, I don't think that's controversial to say. OG wants more of the ball, as we talked about. He wants different types of possessions. And his usage percentage since, you know, the, since he came back from injury earlier in the season has been closer to like 18% than the 22% it started out. 18% is pretty low. He, he's been relegated yeah. to you know a role and it's it's been interesting to look at the politics around you know what leaks and you know how og responds to it you know <laughs> when he says like no none of that's true i don't know i can't control what people say it's like that's just that's just good media training he's doing his thing that's but
0: that's more you know, words than og has ever said in his life by the way <laughs> what you just said
1: yeah <laughs> um but but you look at a guy who he knows he's much better than what he's been getting paid for what three years now and he's a guy who understands like sees guys who aren't as good as him getting fat bags of cash and you couldn't blame a guy for wanting to play a role or a style of basketball that is more lucrative he like he doesn't want to be pigeonholed into oh you're this type of guy and these types of guys usually get these types of contracts he's like no i want to be the type of guy who gets the big contract and and especially since his amp his impact is kind of closer to that too it's very interesting i have no idea because the thing about it too right is that we're talking about like ceiling but underneath all that not only is their ceiling lower than a lot of other teams that are all in it's just there's a lot of like chemistry stuff going on too that's really tough to navigate it's, it's a lot. Well, I have no idea. how. It and
0: on be. top of it, here's the other interesting part of this, too. So Nick Nurse, clutch client. OG Ananova, yeah. clutch client. Seemingly Fred Van Vliet now, clutch client. Um, Christian Coloco. Uh, Gary Trent as well, if I remember yep. correctly. Yep. Yep, uh, is fun. that everyone? I believe those yep. are the five. So... Given those internal dynamics of the way that these negotiations tend to go, yeah. you might be in a situation where you find yourself running it back with the same roster, with the same coaching staff, with everything similar. Yeah, I, look, I don't think Masai goes for like much bullshit in terms of all this. So, like, he'll play the game and he'll do like what he has to do to keep everybody happy. But I also don't think that like he's going to be someone that you know, kowtows to agencies, either like the Lakers previously did, for instance, with Clutch. Um I don't know. The the answer on all of this is this could this is why they're so interesting. This is why mm-hmm. I started this conversation by saying that I think the Raptors are genuinely like maybe the most interesting team in the league right now in terms of like you could sell me on them going 96 different directions. You could have sold me on them getting rid of everybody at the deadline outside of Pascal and uh, Scotty Barnes and trying to like get into the Wembenyama sweepstakes. Yeah. And, and like, I would have bought that. I know that I think that Masai, some Masai may have, may have made like a passing quote to someone at some point saying that like, it didn't seem like they were going to do that. But like, would it surprise you again? Masai star hunts. This is what he does. So, and they've done this previously. I think that the quote was something along the lines of like, you know, that was in Tampa. That season was just like a total mess. And, you know, obviously, you know, we decided to shut it down a little bit because we just felt like we had no chance because of all of the incidental factors that we had to deal with being in Tampa all the time, as opposed to being home. But I just don't, you could tell me on them doing anything. You it's could sell me and- on them doing anything and I would believe it. I would buy it
1: there. It could, yeah, it could go a million different ways. And especially because, you know, there's room for players to develop, e- to kind of change the, the content. Yeah. That's if, yeah. if Scotty, like Scotty, I I've been happy with Scotty's second year so far. Um, Some things kind of, eh, yeah. some things like, wow, this is great. But P-
0: particularly the second half of his second yeah, year, I absolutely. think has been really, really good. I know yeah. I, I have very few complaints on Scotty second right. half of this, this year, yeah.
1: but the Raptors put themselves in a position where they're like, Hey, we have all of our first round picks at the start of the season. And right. we're looking at if Scotty makes that star leap this year, we're probably in a super, super strong position. He hasn't right. made it this year. They kind of kick the can down the road. They're like, okay, now who knows what happens in the summer but if Scotty makes the leap next season, we have a front court of Scottie, um, Jakob, Pascal, Precious, that is like a really strong nucleus right. to work from. And they're kind of just, I guess, adhering to that while also probably paying a lot of lip service to Pascal about future contracts, role, what he deserves, all that kind of stuff. And they'll have to do all that lip service, all that activity to like three different guys in the summer. Who the hell knows, man? It's crazy.
0: Well, and that, that's the other part of this, too. Pascal can be a free agent after next season. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't make all NBA, he is not eligible for the supermax. Okay. Does he decide to bet his luck on going to the next offseason to try <laughs> and get eligible for the supermax, which then has him in a contract year basically in the same way that OG Ananobi would be, in the same way that Fred Van Vliet, Jacob mm-hmm. Pertle, and Gary Trent are this season there it's just and like i don't think pascal's going to leave he seems super happy in toronto like i've uh, i've never heard anything about him leaving but at the same token like there is going to be an influx of tv money at some point here coming there are going to be a lot of teams that have cap space over the next few years here assuming that everything with the rsn rights here in the united states ends up like going okay which yeah. i think there is a lot to play out there still we'll say mm-hmm. based on the fact that Diamond Sports seems to be uh, claiming bankruptcy right. so you know it's all th- this is why I needed to have this hour long conversation <laughs> with because I, I like we have not come to any conclusions here no. because other than the fact that this team is better now like the yep. team is undeniably a better basketball team than what they were a week ago before they had Jakob Pertle. But this team has so many different options here moving forward, and what they do, where they go, how they decide to manage them, how they decide to handle all of this. As we saw at the deadline, the Raptors like really, really like held court at the deadline. They were up until Kyrie's decision to ask out, the team that really, kind of held all the cards. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, they still ended up being the team that held all the cards at the deadline because Kevin Durant very quietly asked to go to Phoenix. Like there was no, there, there was no bidding war for Kevin Durant. People didn't know that he was available necessarily, which means again, the Raptors, even though the nets were the team that sold everything, the Raptors were the team that held all the cards at the deadline. They have all of these incredibly talented players. It's just whether or not they fit together on the court at the same time. So the fact they have all these players makes it so that they will continue to be incredibly important, either via sign and trade or uh, via moving OG and Anobi in the off season or whatever they decide to do. Go star hunting. They have all the assets to be able to do all this stuff, and that that's why that's why all of this is incredibly interesting moving forward.
1: Yeah, the the rumors that were kind of swirling around. Uh, correlated with a certain direction that was also measured in like the gambling odds that was reported on all this type of thing. It was pointing, (laughs) pointing one way. Right. Yeah. And then the Raptors went the complete opposite way. And now it makes all of the corresponding decisions that have to come later. Uh, significantly more complex and it it made them the team as you said at the start at the start like maybe the most interesting team as far as from roster building decisions left to be made and even in some regards still play style there's a lot of interesting tweaks going on there but there it's a team man an NBA basketball team
0: it's definitely an NBA basketball team that's really (laughs) all that we can say about the Toronto Raptors at this point Samson Folk Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what you've got going on. Wh- whatever you want to share.
1: Um, first of all, Sam, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the platform very much and just chopping it up with you in general. Um, if anybody wants to find my written work, it is at raptorsrepublic.com. It's paywalled. Um, I actually do think that raptorsrepublic.com, despite not being the flagship, <laughs> I do think that the best written coverage of the raptors is hosted there largely between myself and lewis atzman and i it's it's like six dollars canadian a month some people think that's worth it some people don't and that's okay hopefully i can convince you later with a, a big scotty barnes passing piece that should be coming out in a few days i also do film breakdowns for yahoo sports but that's it for me sam thank you very much for the the room to plug
0: of course, yeah. yeah. Go to the Raptors Republic YouTube channel as well. You guys are up around like ten thousand subscribers. You've done very well with that. You Soul do climb. a post game show every not every game basically. There's, yeah, there's a live. Recently. There's
1: a live one, yeah. and then mine comes out on the podcast. So it's not like a live experience
0: like the wrap up is, but um, they're both good. I, I like those yeah. guys a lot. Yeah, please go do everything you can to support Samson's work. Go to theathletic.com slash Game Theory. That is the best way to support this podcast. Subscribe to The Athletic. Please do everything you can to support all of that. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on YouTube, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Fassini. Go subscribe uh, over on the podcasting platform of your choice. Apple or Spotify seem to be the ones that dominate the space. We will be back either tomorrow or the next day with Mark Schindler. I need to talk to Mark. To figure out what in the world his schedule looks like. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.